people, people, people. I'm hype. I'm hype. I had to do it. I had to do it. Y'all know I had to do it. Let's let it. We'll let it rock for a little bit. Cause I'm over here jamming. I'm over here jamming. All right. I know y'all don't want to hear that whole goddamn song in the intro. But people, I had to. I had to get excited, man. I had to get amped up. Um. Finally, 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 people. I can finally get this review out to you guys for Scream. 2022 aka scream 5 at some point I, I just recently found this out at some point it was going to be called scream forever i actually like that title i like that title a lot man now um it it, it took me a while to do this because i actually saw scream oh, when did it come out maybe like two fridays ago i think if i'm not mistaken two fridays ago so you know i i saw it saturday i saw the movie saturday and i felt how i felt about it and then i was like you know what? I'm going to do this review today. And then when I was ready to do the review, I realized that I, I had way more notes that I needed to take. So I said, nope, I need to see this movie again because I need to prepare myself because there's so much shit going on. There's a lot of shit I'm not even going to be able to get to and cover in this, um, you know, in this spoiler review. So, I, you know, I apologize to anybody that's going to be like, oh, well, you missed this part. Or you missed that part. I literally can't cover anything, uh, everything because I don't want, you know, I don't want it to be too time consuming. I'm not going to lie to y'all. That's one of the reasons why I don't like doing regular reviews per se um, is because I get really long winded. There's not enough things to cover in a certain amount of time. And I know a lot of people will be like, well, why don't you just narrow it down to like a five, 10 minute non-spoiler review or whatever the case may be. I, can, I don't know how to do that, people. I'm way too passionate about film to narrow it down to just like five or ten minutes or so. There are certain things that I have to talk about, and sometimes I make comparisons, and sometimes I go off into the rabbit hole. But, people, that's neither here nor there, man. Now, let me just say this. Before we get into this spoiler-filled Scream 2022 talk, I don't really even want to say it's a review because, I, like I said, I'm going to cover some things, but not everything. But this spoiler talk, let me just say this, people. I am a huge fan of this of the scream series man I, I truly am i remember my big cousin took a couple of us younger cousins way younger cousins to the he he worked at power 99 at the time so he got a whole bunch of you know free tickets to go see this brand new slasher movie called scream now remember this being one of the greatest experiences i've ever had in a the movie theater they were passing out jiffy popcorn like literally the popcorn drew barrymore's popping in the beginning they were passing that shit out in the theater and when the movie came on and everybody saw Jiffy Pop, everybody like kind of shared this, you know, they were in on the same joke. They shared this like simultaneous chuckle. And I remember just loving the movie. People laughed, people cheered, people screamed, pun intended. Uh, you know, they were going through the motions throughout the entire movie. Now, I remember seeing Scream 2 and I thought it's really decent. I like the, the new casting. I definitely like Tim Oliphant and Elise Neal and love that um, Lee Schreiber was given a much bigger role as Cotton Weary and that, you know, furthered his story. But Scream 2, man, they killed Randy off, and I feel like the movie's pretty much over for me at that point, though the, the third act is not bad. But Scream 2 was just a kind of a lackluster sequel. Don't I don't hate the movie, though. I can always have a great time watching Scream 2. Scream 3, um, my favorite sequel of the bunch. Now, will this movie change that? You know, will it dethrone Scream 3? We'll have to wait and see. But uh, Scream 3 is my favorite sequel, and I know a lot of people hate that movie. I don't understand why. Everything ain't for me to understand, but I love Scream 3 because, one, we got some stakes that were raised again. Cotton Weary dies in the opening sequence, but Scream 3 is the movie that I appreciate so much because they finally embraced the fact that 
this property, these movies were not originally set out to be straightforward horror slashers to be taken seriously. No, this was a satire of the genre. That's why the scary movie movies spoofed the satire. They went off the deep end with it. And I love that they embraced the, the just the goofiness of everything, the comedic elements, the comedic timing, a lot of it in Scream 3 lands for me. And like I said, favorite sequel in the series. Now, Scream 4, I remember being really excited. I was like, oh, my God, what are they going to do with this movie? And outside of Rory Culkin's Charlie character and Hayden Pantier's Kirby character, Scream 4 falls really flat for me. Again, I don't hate it. I don't hate any of the movies in the series. They are all enjoyable. They all have really witty, funny dialogue. They have decent characters. But Scream 4, just, it just didn't live up for me. The reveal was, you know, uh, spoiler alert. The reveal for I could deal with Rory Culkin. Because he seems like he's a serial killer in real life in his spare in his, in his spare time, I can deal with that. But however, um, what what is that girl's name? Uh, Emma Roberts. She the reveal for her was she's like, you had your 15 seconds of fame now. I want mine. Wah wah wah. It's like bitch. Like shut up. Like you're just such a whiny brat. And I hated that reveal, man. And the fact that it carried on into the hospital after that. Now one of the things that I always had a problem with the screen movies is that after they killed Randy, they never had the balls to do anything like that ever again you know sydney's very much still alive dewey's very much still alive gail's very much still alive and you know going into scream five i kept telling myself somebody has to die one of the og3 if not all of them have to die so the torch can be passed to uh the new characters now there were a lot of red flags um about this you know this scream movie and i, I was just like i don't know if radio silence can do it you know, I don't know if Nev Campbell's going to come back. What if they turn this this shit into like some new nightmare where the killer's hunting down the actual actors? I don't know what's going to happen. So I had a lot of reservations about this movie. But I remember seeing that first trailer. I was like, this looks badass. And the tone is a hell of a lot meaner than any of the screen movies, at least for me personally. So, you know, I remember another thing that really brought me around to this movie was the fact that I had watched Ready or Not. Y'all can check that commentary out. First time watch commentary, actually, if y'all want. But I remember after that movie was over, I had full confidence in the directors of, you know, Radio Silence is what they call themselves. Um, I had full confidence that they could balance horror and humor and bring some visceral, crazy shit to the Scream series because they did a fantastic job with that movie, Ready or Not. It's, it's definitely one of the best movies to come out that year. But um, this new movie, man... You know, like I said, Radio Silence, they consist of Matt Bettinelli, Open, and Tyler Gillette. It's, now, there's three of them, but those are the two guys that directed the movie. And it was written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. Now, this is the weird thing about this movie. Kevin Williamson was overseeing the project. And um, I don't know if he was like an executive producer, if he was producer. But for this to be written by two brand new guys, I feel like it, it feels like the Scream series hasn't hasn't really you know missed a beat and basically the plot here for this movie is you know sydney no longer lives in woodsboro dewey resides in woodsboro gail somewhere in the mix doing her thing she's still being famous dewey has retired sydney's a mother now things like that but we are introduced to all these new characters and there's something tying all of these characters together so that you know every time they get attacked there's connective tissue in between that and we find out that this killer is targeting people that are related to or connected to the original killer somehow. Now, we do find that out later on in the movie, and we'll get to that. But first and foremost, people, let's talk about, if we're going to talk about Scream, let's talk about this opening sequence. Now, I'm going to say this, man. Watching this Scream movie, 
I have to admit that, you know, I'm not going to necessarily say Roger Jackson's voice has always been scary. I think in the first movie, it was definitely something different. It was very menacing. And it kind of just go after a while it goes on. It's just like, yeah, like, all right, Ghostface, what do you want, man? Like, it's just not really scary anymore. Sometimes it could be intimidating depending on, you know, the, the, the lines of dialogue that Ghostface is given. But there's something about when... You know, there, there's this, there are new characters involved. And one of the new main characters, her name is Tara Carpenter. Um, of course, the Carpenter is a nod to John Carpenter. But she's played by um, Jenna Ortega, who is in the new movie that's coming out with Kid Cudi and Britney Snow. It's called X. Y'all can check out my trailer reaction for that. So Tara Carpenter is alone in her house. And she's, you know, she's texting on the phone. Her phone rings and all this other shit. So it's Ghostface. Roger Jackson's, you know, his, his voice. But his regular voice, he's like, yeah, could you just tell her I called? And, oh, she talks about you all the time in group. And she said you like scary movies. And have you seen the stat? Like, he's asking, you know, he's doing the usual creepy chit-chat. What's your favorite scary movie? And all this other stuff. But there's something about this opening sequence. Before Roger Jackson's voice goes full tilt boogie ghost face, it's something so unsettling about how calm and just regular his voice is in this movie. I don't think I've heard Roger, me personally, these are just my personal ears. I don't think I've heard Roger Jackson's voice sound like this. It's too normal to the point where it throws me off and I'm just like, he doesn't sound like he could tear your guts out in two seconds. Like it doesn't, you know, he or she, depending on who the killers are, we'll find out. But, um, you know, they do the usual, what's your favorite scary movie? uh chit chat and bullshit and then they're talking about the stab movies and one of the things tara does that is a new element to this movie um uh, and a lot of people might like it a lot of people might hate it i can actually understand exactly what they're talking about one of the things that they bring up is elevated horror and you know they she talks about all this elevated horror that she's into she says she doesn't like the mindless slashers like stab and all this other shit she likes elevated horror like it follows and hereditary and the witch or the vavitch however you want to pronounce it out there but those you know elevated horror where it's like yeah these movies are about something they're not just your average you know um stab em up type of movies so what happens is you know the small talk chit chat the what's your favorite scary movie shit definitely takes a toll and you get some stab questions you know stab movie questions now being as though tara is not really savvy to the stab movies like that she has trouble answering the questions but he's like who was the survivor who were the killers who's the one that wrote the book the woodsboro murders and all this other shit so basically you know, long story short, Ghostface does pop up. And when Ghostface pops up, he slices her, she closes the door, and then they do that, you know, doors unlocked, doors locked thing, Ghostface can control the locks. So Ghostface has made it into Tara's home and he attacks her. And when I say Ghostface attacks her, this isn't really your average, uh, you know, there's very little cat and mouse in this opening sequence, as opposed to, you know, there was cat and mouse with Casey Becker. It was a movie theater in the beginning. There's a little bit of cat and mouse with Cotton Weary and his girlfriend in Scream 3. And there's, you know, the movie within a movie within a movie intro in Scream 4. This one, they cut right to the chase pretty much when the shit hits the fan, because when she, after Tara gets stabbed, Ghostface calls her again and he pops up. This motherfucker, while she's on the on the kitchen floor, stabs through her hand. Now, it's very much reminiscent to when he stabs Olivia in her hand and when he attacks her in Scream 4 and then pulls all her guts out. But he, sta he stabs her the fuck up. He stabs through her hand. He stomps on her ankle. Oh, my God, people. If you hate, like, broken bones and fucking fractures and all types of shit that is a nasty break he stomps on her i'm telling you like like she owed that man thousands and thousands of dollars in back rent i don't know but i'm telling y'all the way he stomps on her foot actually made me cringe there's a few moments in a scream movie that made me cringe so that won me over but 
here's the thing. The cops are pulling up to the house while Tara's getting attacked. And then you see the slash and then it says scream when it should say scream five, but it just says scream. Now, what we do realize is that the attack wasn't meant to kill Tara, but it was meant to spring a brand new game into motion and bring certain characters to Woodsboro in order for the game to come full circle. So after that, we get introduced to the characters of, uh, you know, Sam and Richie. Now, Sam is Tara's sister, Sam Carpenter, and she's played by Melissa Berea. And her boyfriend, Richie, is played by Jack Quaid, a.k.a. Rain Wilson. Y'all cannot fucking tell me. What we not about to do is we not about to sit up here and act like Jack Quaid did not remind us of Rain Wilson in either The Office or you know, the Meg or anything. I'm telling you, his mannerisms, the way he talks, his humor is Rain Wilson. I'm telling you. But, you know, they work at the bowling alley. So what happens is there's a character played by uh, Dylan Minetti, whose name is Wes, Wes Hicks. And he is the, you know, son of deputy or the now sheriff, Judy Hicks, played by Marley Shelton. You know, she was in Scream 4, but she has been promoted to sheriff since Dewey has retired. But Wes calls her and he's like, look, she got stabbed seven times. Your sister's in the hospital. You need to come home and check up on her. So basically, we get this intro, you know, when Sam and Richie jump into action and they got to go to Woodsboro to check up on her sister. We get the introduction to the new characters. And little fun fact for you guys, man, the principal's voice at Woodsboro High School that's on the loudspeaker while all the kids are outside is actually the voice of Drew Barrymore. I did not know that. These directors put in so many OG characters, whether they were names, whether they were voiceovers, whether we see them pop up in the movie at some point, which we'll get to. Because there is some shit that happens in this movie that has a lot of fans divided, and it actually threw me completely off. But we do get introduced to the new it, it, the new characters, the new victims, a.k.a. the new suspects. And the scene is pretty reminiscent to when we get introduced to Tatum, Billy, Stu, Randy, and, you know, we already saw uh, Stu, uh, Billy and Sydney in the beginning. But that whole sequence where they're talking and it's just like, well, how do I know you're not the, you know, how do you know the killer couldn't be female based against it? We get that type of shit. And the characters are Wes, like I said, played by uh, Dylan Minetti, who actually, I actually liked him in this movie. I was just fresh off of watching, even though I was late to the party, I watched, uh, was it Let Me In or Let the Right One In, the remake that he was in where he played the bully. And he's a dickhead in that movie. But he, I actually liked him a lot in this movie. And um, yeah, we get introduced to Wes and we get introduced to... Uh, Mindy and Chad Meeks Martin. Yes, they are hyphenates. Meeks Martin. Now, if the name Meeks sounds familiar, people, yes, they are related to Randy and Martha Meeks. Martha Meeks does make an appearance in this movie, but we find out that they are the the daughter and son of Martha Meeks. But, you know, I guess she married a black guy whose last name was Martin because these kids are biracial. But for the most part, they looked pretty black to me, just a little light skin. But we get introduced to Mindy and Chad, and they are played by, uh, Mindy Meeks Martin is played by an actress named Jasmine Savoy Brown. She's great in this movie. Mason Gooding plays uh, Chad Meeks Martin, and I like the the two of these characters. Not Maybe I show a little favoritism because they are relatives of Randy Meeks, and that is my favorite character of the entire franchise, so maybe I do show favoritism, but these two were hands down two of my favorite characters. We get introduced to um, Liv McKenzie, played by Sonia Amar, and we get introduced to uh, Amber Freeman, played by, uh, is it Mickey or Mikey Madison? Now, the funny thing about Liv McKenzie, she is Chad's girlfriend. Now, the name McKenzie, if that rings a bell to anybody, that is the name that Casey Becker's dad tells his wife, he's like, go go down the street, drive down to the McKenzie's, tell them to call the police. Now, I'm assuming that she is related to those people that 
they were talking about in Scream 1. There are a lot of Easter eggs and a lot of nods to this. So basically, we get the, you know, we get the red herring chit-chat and the introduction to these characters, whether you like them, first impressions, that type of thing, whether you hate them. Um, we do get that. So we do get also a, a little bit of dialogue while Sam and Richie are heading back to Woodsboro and I, I'm not going to say it's corny, but, the, you know, for the sake of being meta and, you know, self-referencing and things like that and, and, and referencing other horror movies, you know, Jack Quaid's character, Richie, he says something. He's like, yeah, hopefully we don't run into somebody who thought, yeah, Friday the 13th, that Jason guy's got some pretty solid ideas and all this other shit. I'm just like, OK, like we're just killing time. They're just, you know, chit chatting in the car and all this other shit. So there's a little bit of a, a reunion at the hospital when Sam and Richie get there and they run into, you know, of course, Tara because they go to see her. But you could tell the interactions when Sam reintroduces herself to everybody and meets back up with the with the younger kids. You can tell, like, some people... She either doesn't know well, she's still cool with, especially during the circumstances, but other people, she hasn't really left a good impression on them because everybody's reactions to her and Richie coming in the room, you know, outside of her sister, everybody's reactions are kind of, they're kind of weird. It's a little bit of awkwardness there, but it's, it's, it's very different. Now at the hospital, like I said, there, there's just, you know, they have a, they have a little sisterly moment, Tara and Sam, and she's just like, oh my God, I'm so sorry this happened to you. You know, I'm sorry I stayed away for so long. I'm sorry I had to come back like this and all this other shit. We get to establish the fact that they're, they're a bit estranged, but they still have a lot of love for each other. And Sam wants nothing more than to protect her older sister. So you have that moment, but then later on, and I forgot to mention this because there's a character that we did see later on early on in the movie in, uh, you know, outside of Woodsboro High. But he pops up in this scene. There's a scene at the pool hall where, you know, uh, all, the, all the characters, Wes, Mindy, Chad, uh, Liv, and all everybody's at the pool hall. They're shooting pool and they're just having exposition about, you know, why Sam left. And they're just saying, oh, well, you know, she left and now all of a sudden she just comes back like she could be the killer. And this could be her reason for doing a killer. And they do the usual accusations, red herring shit that is expected amongst friends in a screen movie. You have to have that dialogue. You simply cannot go without that di that type of dialogue amongst these characters because it, le it, it makes the audience think even more. And if they do it right, the then you know, it, it leaves a lot of room to, to, to guess throughout the entire film. Now we get a character that I meant to mention earlier named Vince. Vince is played by Kyle Gallner. And Kyle Gallner is the guy who played, what was his name? Quentin in Nightmare on Elm Street, the, the, the 2010 remake. Now, this character, <laughs> this motherfucker is Stu Mocker. It, it's, it's, his, it's his nephew. So I'm just like, okay, so Stu had a sister randomly, whatever, sure. But this is the thing about the character of Vince. Him and Chad almost get into it because Vince and Liv had some, you know, he's stalking Liv and all this other shit. So he comes over and he's just disrespectful. He's like, yo, Liv, you want a real drink? And Chad comes to her defense like his, like, you know, like her man should. And he, it's a little line that I don't know if they should have put that line in there because he doesn't deliver it too well. He's like, hey, uglier Michael Myers, won't you leave my girlfriend alone and all this other shit. Vince pulls out a knife. They all get kicked out the pool hall. But I'm telling y'all. I, I could have went this entire movie without Kyle Garner's character and it, and I wouldn't have felt any different about it because it's just such a whatever type of character. It's a whatever type of kill. I really wish I would have got to see it play out since he's such a dickhead in the movie. But what happens is they all get kicked out of the bar, which makes you wonder, is this Chad going after, um, 
you know, Vince in the parking lot because Vince gets killed in the parking lot. He's taking a piss and then somebody turns his car on and red right hand is playing. So he goes in there to turn the ignition and, you know, he, he, he comes back up. Ghostface is literally standing right behind him, pokes him in the fucking jugular really quick and lets this motherfucker bleed out. Now, it's a whatever kill and they don't show the aftermath like they just show him bleeding out and crawling away. But it was kind of vicious for Ghostface to just poke him one fucking time and just let him suffer. But I, I just feel like, like we could have, we kind of could have went without that kill in that character because it's like, okay, now the only purpose that served is to say, oh well, he got killed because he's related to Stu Mocker. Yeah, let's tie it all together. It's like whatever, man. Like that was one of the things where I'm just like, whatever, man. I could have went without it. I was actually curious to see what Kyle Garner's character was going to be in that movie, but it's just like, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't anything too fucking serious. Now. Back at the hospital, you've got Richie. He's up watching stab movies on Netflix and shit because he's trying to do research. He's trying to prepare himself, you know, for when Ghostface comes. And, you know, Sam and Tara are asleep at this point. Now, Sam does wake up because she had a nightmare. You know, uh, you know, they make it so that when she wakes up, it's literally right after the character of Vince gets killed. And she tells Richie, yeah, I had a bad dream. So, you know, Sarah, Sam goes to, uh, Sam goes to, you know, get some water or I don't remember if she takes a pill, but I do know she drinks some water. And I'm thinking that when she lifts her head up to look in the mirror, Ghostface is going to be behind her to, you know, to, to, to fuck her up in the hospital. I'm thinking it's going to be a hospital attack at this point. But no, Sam gets up from drinking her water out the out the tap. And in the fucking reflection of the mirror in the hospital, the break room people brace yourselves is Billy fucking Loomis. Now, this is not, Skeet Ulrich is not in this movie as Billy Loomis. This motherfucker's in this movie as Billy Loomis through hallucinations. Yes, Sam, at this point, people, I'm trying to tell you, when I saw this, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because first of all, it looks like Skeet Ulrich has been de-aged, digitally, digitally de-aged, and he's got the same blood on his face, the same blood on his shirt. Like they paid attention to detail when they put him back in. His hair looks the same, but you could tell they de-aged him. You could tell Skeet Ulrich is de-aged. Uh, but still, I was like, wait, what? What? I'm like, why is she seeing Billy Loomis in, through hallucinations? I don't understand what the fuck's going on. So basically, the hallucination of Billy is telling her like, when are you going to tell your sister what's really going on, Sam? Are you going to keep hiding behind your dirty little secrets? And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? What's, what is happening? And why the fuck is Billy Loomis in the reflections? Like, I do, I've never seen this happen in a Scream movie. And somebody was telling me, you know, because once I saw it, I had to talk spoiler talk. And somebody was telling me that the, the closest we've gotten to that, because it was really weird for them to do that in a Scream movie. It kind of like threw things off and made it a little bit supernatural. But you know, whatever, didn't really hurt the film too much for me, because the closest we have gotten to seeing that was when Sydney was having hallucinations of her mother, so what happens is Billy's, you know, he's letting us know, basically, we, we know that uh, Sam is used to seeing him, because when she does see him as a hallucination in the mirror, she kind of just is like, not this, not this dude again, man, like, I'm fucking tired of you, every time it's like clockwork at 6.15 p.m. Eastern time, this is what you do, so, you know, he hints at the secret Sam is hiding and all this other stuff, so what happens is Ghostface actually does end up calling Sam's phone, and he's taunting her, and she's like, you want me, like, come fuck out here and get me, and he says, with pleasure, and then pops up behind the door, now, before he attacks her, that, with pleasure, 
was definitely a nod to Scream 2 when Sydney's in the sorority house and she's like, why don't you show your face, you fucking coward? And Ghostface pops out the closet and says, my pleasure. And then he's just bumbling all over the place and doesn't kill anybody. But that was definitely a nod to Scream. Now, Sam does get attacked. She gets away unscathed and everything's okay. And of course, the cops pop up later and all the friends pop up and she's like, I got attacked. And Sheriff Hicks, Marley Shelton's character, by the way, Marley Shelton, I don't I don't know if I'm alone here, but I think Marley Shelton is super fucking attractive, man. Like, not only, I think I liked her ever since she was in the movie Valentine, but I loved her and just her quirkiness and just how upbeat she was in Scream 4. But I think the years have been really fucking good to her, man. And the fact that she's a an, an authoritative figure and is the sheriff now, I'm like, oh my God, like, like do that, sweetheart. Please do that with that blonde hair and that hard. Right, let's... We're not going to get sidetracked. But basically, Sheriff Hicks, you know, she's questioning all the kids like, OK, so where were you and where were you? And this is another red herring situation because it's like, yeah, I was watching stab movies on Netflix. Yeah, I was in the bathroom. Or, yeah, I was doing this and doing that. So basically, there is a good scene here in between that, because we find out what type of history Sheriff Hicks has with uh, with Sam here. And, you know, Sheriff Hicks does not hesitate to tell her. She's like, listen, when your sister gets better, you know, why don't y'all roll out of Woodsboro and leave this town to or, you know, leave it to people who really give a shit about what happens in this town. So you see that they were they are not the best of friends. And after that moment, Sam needs, you know, some some time with Tara. And this is the shocking revelation. And I, I, I'm, I'm telling y'all, I, like my jaw was to the floor when this reveal happened, because I did not, I did not see this shit coming. And it's it's like, you're either going to buy it or you're not. So what happens is we get a scene of exposition explaining why Samantha left her sister and her family and left the town of Woodsboro. So basically what happens is we find out, to make a long story short, Sam found out that, you know, she went through her mom's diary and she found out that her father was indeed not her father. And that you know, uh, her father was actually somebody else. And this is this is what caused Sam to, you know, run away from home and just leave everything behind and abandon her sister. So basically, you know, she said her mom was in love with some other guy while she was with her dad. And the guy that she was in love with who ends up being her fucking father is Billy Loomis. Billy Loomis's daughter is Sam Carpenter in this movie. And I'm like, oh, hold the fuck up. I said, hold up, man. Hold up, man. Because... That means Billy was cheating on Sydney, which doesn't surprise me. It's like, you know, the more you watch Scream, a part of you kind of don't lie, y'all. A part of you kind of forgets Billy's the killer at some point. You know, if you go into the movie like, all right, I know it's doing Billy. Like at some point you're going to forget Billy's a killer. But it's like he's a piece of shit. He's not only a, a serial killer, but he's also a cheating piece of shit. So he was cheating on Sydney, got another chick pregnant and out pop Sam. Billy Loomis is Sam's fucking father. And when I'm, I'm telling you, I kid y'all not, man, my jaw was to the floor. I could not believe it. Just couldn't believe it. And obviously Tara can't believe it either because she's like, wait, so you waited all this time to tell me my dad, your dad's a fucking serial killer and you abandoned me. She's like, well, I could have just, you know, you didn't have to leave me. And this is in this moment. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful towards the actress playing Sam, uh, Melissa Berea. But this is the moment where I realized. I like Jenna Ortega as as Tara more than I like Melissa Berea as Sam, because when Sam is doing this monologue and she's like, this is why I got distant from you and why I started acting weird and why I never called and why I left town because I, you know, I couldn't tell you my dad was a serial killer, the Woodsboro murders and all this other shit. And it's like, 
all right, baby girl, like, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I see the tears are trying to flow out your eyes. You're trying to do some really good acting here, but I, I'm not 100% sold. Like, maybe for the most part, sure, because I have to follow you as, you know, the new girl, the passing of the torch character as far as the, the final girls go. However, I found more power in, um, you know, Tara, the, the actress playing Tara, Tara. I found more power in her acting when she screams at her older sister to get the fuck out of her room because I personally felt like she was talking to me and I almost like I almost rolled out my damn self because it's just so much force in her voice as the little sister and she's like get the fuck out my room and you know Sam and Richie have their ride or die moment because she she does get out of her sister's room and then you know Richie's been listening the whole time and she's like look Richie you have to go I gotta stay here and he's like look no I'm staying I love you and I'm not going anywhere and she's like this is the moment in the movies where they tell these characters to get the fuck out and you're not getting the fuck out and he was like I can't like I love you we, we gonna ride this shit out together and then that's when you realize that they are definitely made for each other so what they do is you know they go to see Woodsboro's or formerly Woodsboro's finest, man. We see Dewey Riley. We get Dewey's intro. Dewey's now living in a trailer. As one character said, he's crawled into a bottle. Him and Gail Weathers are either divorced or just split up. And, you know, Dewey's life is a little different now, man. He's he's retired from the police force. He keeps Tatum's ashes on top of like a, uh, you know, like a nightstand and all of that type of stuff. And, excuse me, when we see Dewey, he is, um, you know, he's got he's got a happy moment because he sits down with his coffee mug and he's watching Gail Weathers on TV. And, you know, she's like, hey, I'm Gail Weathers. And he smiles and he says, hey, like a little silently. But you see, Dewey is regardless of his situation. Gail is one of the things that still brings this character happiness, man. And it is so good to see David Arquette on screen again in a screen movie because Dewey is Dewey has always been the heart of all of these screen movies, man. So when you see him. Whether it's a serious intro or not, or to be taken seriously for that matter, you can't help but to smile. Like, my heart smiles when I see Dewey on screen, man, because he's such a great fucking character. And he's actually written to be one of the best characters in this movie. But, you know, we see Dewey, and what happens is Sam and Richie go to his crib, and it's just like, listen, are you Dewey? You know, we need your help because, there, you know, there's been some attacks. My sister was attacked. Now, as soon as Dewey sits them down in his trailer... He lays the law, the, the rules and the law down. He's like, who's this guy? She's like, my boyfriend. And he's like, how long have you known him? Did he met, Did he meet your parents? Did he know about you before the stabbings and all this other shit? Dewey's really trying to be on point with everything. And he lays the rules down. He's like, listen, never trust the boyfriend. The killer is, is always in one of the friend groups and all this other shit. And this is the thing. <laughs> Dewey, like they, they don't. I feel like Richie doesn't respect him because he does. He calls him shitty Sam Elliott at some point. Sam Elliott's the guy from Ghost Rider and the movie Mask with Cher. But he calls him shitty Sam Elliott at one point, and I, that part made me laugh out loud. Like I'm not gonna lie to y'all because it just, it just happened in the moment. And um, honestly, I, I felt kind of bad for the characters because while they do go to Dewey for help. He doesn't want, he's not with the shits. He's really not with the shits, man, because he's like, listen, man, I, I'm not going back there. I'm not doing all of this. I've left all of this behind. And he he does tell them he when they come in, he's like, yo, I'll give you two minutes. And then, you know, you think Dewey's going to help them because she's like, come on. That means, you know, if I'm in danger, then that means you're in danger. And in my head, I'd have been like, bullshit. Like, you shouldn't have even showed up to this doorstep. But Dewey does exactly what I would have did was he's like, you're too... Your two minutes are up. And the way they cut the scene, they show Dewey slamming the door, which was another like laugh out loud funny moment because of how Richie reacted to Dewey slamming the door. But, um, I, you know, 
their two minutes are up and Dewey right after Sam and Richie leave, who does he call up? Old Faithful. He calls up Sydney. Now, me personally, I said this during my trailer reaction. If Dewey would have called me up, I listen, what do you want? Because it's never good news. Like as soon as Dewey would have called me, I probably would have sent them the voicemail or I would have put Dewey on the block list. Because if you don't call me on the regular, like, hey, man, how you doing? Is everything cool? How's the kids and how's the family? Every fucking time you call me, it's like, yo, it's happening again. And it's like, well, I wasn't involved. But now by this phone call, I don't know who could trace this call. And I don't know if you're the killer. So why are you calling me with this bullshit after all these years? And you can tell it's been years because the way Sydney responds, we see Sydney, she's jogging in the, or like a walkway, not a walkway, but she's jogging like near like a lake or something like that. She's got a stroller in front of her with two of her daughters and she's a mother now, which is awesome. But when Dewey calls her, she sounds so surprised. Like she hasn't heard from him while she's like, uh, she's like, have you talked to Gail? How's Gail doing? And he's like, I haven't talked to her for a couple years. And you know, she's asking him, is he okay? But she knows something's wrong. And one of the things that I noticed, uh, I didn't pick up on this until the second time I saw the movie, is that Dewey asks Sydney when they're on the phone, before he tells her what's going on, he's like, how's Mark? And she says he's doing good. Now, Mark, if nobody knows, Detective Mark Kincaid was Patrick Dempsey's character from Scream 3. So that prophecy was fulfilled, people. I was wondering, it was kind of weird because I didn't know what the age bracket was, but I'm assuming Nev Campbell and Patrick Dempsey aren't too far in age, but you know, Mark Kincaid, Detective Mark Kincaid from Scream 3 and Nev Campbell are married now. So I thought that was an awesome little tie-in, man, because he definitely survived by the end of Scream 3. He's the one that's like, Sid, you know, we're going to watch a movie. It's, you know, it's a, it's a horror movie. Come watch it. And then that's the end of the movie. So it's good that they threw his name in there so that these aren't characters that just up and disappear. It would have been nice if they mentioned Dwayne Martin's character, Joel, from Scream 2, but, you know, whatever. He's the black guy who was the cameraman. He probably got the fuck out of Dodge somewhere. But... Basically, Dewey lets her know. He's like, look, man, um, you know, I'm calling Gail next, but yo, something about this don't feel right. I'm about to go to Woodsboro, but whatever you do, do not come here. And she's like, Dewey, like I'm a mother now. I have, you know, I got a gun. I have no intentions on setting foot back in that town. But she's she goes, Dewey, whoever's doing this, I'm glad the townspeople have you to protect them, but be safe. And it's like, protect it like it's not my job to protect everybody but that's who dewey is man dewey saves the fucking day that's what he does man as bumbling and as silly as that guy is dewey's got a heart of gold and he wants to always catch the fucking killer he always wants to put a stop to everything but i just felt like some parts of the conversation with dewey and sydney which is funny as shit because i would have reacted completely differently on on both ends of the phone but you know, he, he, he lets her know he's calling Gail next. But what he does is he sends a, you know, he sends a text message to um to Gail to, to let her know, yo, we got to talk. Is some shit hitting the fan. And Dewey has his moment. He has his shining moment where he's like, OK, I'm about to I'm about to become the guy who I started out to be the guy that they should have respected me for being. He doesn't say all of this, but it's like his determination at this point. He goes and opens up this box and, you know, inside of it is his badge. It's his gun. So he, he he's ready to rock, man. And. What happens after that is, uh, you know, Sam and Richie are on their cross-country adventure again. And what they do is they go to the Meeks Martin house. You know, uh, Chad and Mindy Meeks Martin, they go, they go to their house and they want to assemble all the friends together so they can lay down the rules and, you know, see who's who and just get a lay of the land as far as these, these, these people and who they are. You know, her sister's friends. So what happens is when they go to the Meeks Martin house, Dewey shows up. And it was one of those moments where they played the, you know, I can't remember the name of the, the, the song, but, you know, Dewey Steve, that, do, 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 do. They play that shit when Dewey pops up and it's like, yes, 
Dewey's here to fucking help, man. Like, this is the OG that's going to guide us through this bullshit. And I love that scene, man, because it's so nostalgic. Anytime you hear that music, Dewey is in the fucking building. So it got me, it, it gave me a little bit of the warm fuzzies to see him helping the kids out, man. It was good to have, like, a, you know, an OG presence. He's like the fucking, the, the sensei of the Scream series. So one of the things that I also loved about this scene at the uh, Meeks Martin house with all the kids and with Dewey, you know, trying to school everybody or them school each other. Uh, it, it takes place inside of the Randy Meeks Memorial Home Theater. Now, they've got an entire room dedicated to Randy, and that's where all of them meet. They've got a big ass picture. They've got a mural up for Randy. So it was really good to see them not only mention that not only have, you know, two of his relatives in the movie and his sister, but to have that picture of Jamie Kennedy and to honor that character the way that they did man because we have we didn't really see him honored uh since scream 3 and scream 3 was actually more it was actually pretty sad to watch jamie kennedy's character randy on that vhs tape telling him about the rules of a trilogy but this was this was a little more subtle and i you know i just i love the tribute overall but this is you know we do get uh heather mata matazaro i can never pronounce her last name but she comes back because we did meet her for the first time in scream 3 she comes back as martha meeks and she's like oh my god dewey how how are you and she's bringing in treats and then you know chad's like all right mom like like we're good you can get the fuck up out of here right now but um Basically, what happens now is, you know, there's more exposition, there's more dialogue, back and forth, banter amongst each other of trying to figure out who the killer is, what's their motive. This is when we find out as, you know, the audience members and some of the characters in the movie that Vince was, like I said, Vince, Kyle Gauner's character was Stu Marker's nephew. Um, and we do find out that the attacks have been on people related to the original killers. Now, Mindy, Mindy has her Randy Meeks excuse me, Mindy has a Randy Meeks moment, and this is one of the reasons why she's my favorite, uh, one of my favorite characters in the entire movie, is because I know that, look, I know there's a lot of people out there that'll be like, oh, this is too much exposition, we know the rules, and we know what's going on, sure, but it wouldn't be a Scream movie if it wasn't completely poking fun at itself, and speaking to us as horror fans, this is how we talk to other people out there sometimes, you know, and the character of Mindy, she talks about how the killer is making a requel, which is like a remake sequel. Everything dates back to, you know, the original movie and everything's tied in some type of way. And there's going to be shocking reveals as far as the first movie goes. And, you know, they talk more about elevated horror and they talk about how the fans get mad when you fuck with the original OGs and that Mindy even mentions as far as requels go, she mentions, you know, Halloween, Jurassic Park, Terminator, Ghostbusters, which are really good. Uh, they're really good examples to use because, yeah, it's like there are sequels in between, but sometimes they either retcon everything that came after the first one or they just make very few or none at all mentions of the movies in between. It's everything is dating back to the first movie. And I feel like a lot of what they're doing here in the new screen movie is very much a requel because with the exception of a few things there's everything the majority of this shit here is going back to the first movie and you know we we have uh we have another um god damn it we have another it's it's basically another thing where sam is 
public enemy number one because they're all looking at her like, look, well, you did leave town, so you got more motive than anybody to do blah, 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 blah. And your family history is this and your family history is that. And, you know, Billy Loomis is your dad and blah, blah, blah. So when they finally start to look at her like she's the killer, she gets pissed off and she leaves. And what she has is another Billy hallucination. You could she could see Billy in the, in the rear view mirror. You know, while she's in the car and Billy's like, let's cut some fucking throats and find out who's doing this shit, bitch. Like, dude, Billy is out of his fucking mind. Like, even as a hallucination, as something that is made up in her mind, he's out of his goddamn mind. And it's like, it's it's weird seeing Skeet Ulrich back in a screen movie. Now, I know he's not, he's not really supposed to be there. He's all in her head. She's crazy as he is. But, I, like, it's just so weird, people. But like I said, not enough to take me out of the movie. Now... This is a sequence. The next sequence that happens is or, you know, I'm, I'm glazing over people. Like I said, I won't be able to cover everything. I'm just covering the shit that stood out to me in, you know, hopefully in chronological order here. But the sequence that I liked a lot is a sequence with Sheriff Hicks and her son. So Sheriff Hicks is in the house and, you know, I don't know if I don't can't remember if she gets a phone. I don't think it's a phone call, but she hears something. So she picks up a knife and she's like, is that you, honey? Like talking to her son, Wes. And, you know, he's scared. He jump scares her and he's got the knife out in his hand. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to go pick up our dinner. We're having sushi tonight. Put this knife away for me. And like, it's one of those weird moments. And then this is the thing. Wes gets in the shower and Deputy Ju oh my God damn Sheriff Judy is driving in her, you know, her squad car. And she gets a call from Ghostface and she's so cool about it. She's just like, who is this? Yeah, what do you want? He's like, what's your favorite scary movie? And she's like, well, I prefer animated movies and such. It's like the way that she, Marley Shelton is fucking pure genius, man. Like the way that she handles that entire phone call, she's trying to play it off so cool. And he's just like, I want to turn myself in. And she's like, well, I think that's a good idea. But while she's saying it, she's so laser focused on the phone and the road at the same time. But she's typing a text message to Wes. And Wes, we find out he's in the shower. So Ghostface is pretty much taunting her like, I've I'm, I've killed two people. And she's like, you only killed one. And he's like, not after I'm done with your baby boy. So she busts a U-turn and she's heading back to the house. But it's kind of like this whole scene is a flip on... Uh, you know, this the opening sequence of Scream 3, where Cotton gets a phone call from Ghostface and his girlfriend is, you know, his girlfriend Christine is in the shower while Ghostface is taunting Cotton being like, yeah, I'm watching her and all this other shit. That's the same thing that happens. But Wes, Wes is actually a lot safer than we know because Judy is driving. You know, she's got the, 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 the police lights on. She's breaking down crying. She's like, please, my son's a good boy. He never did anything to anybody. Please don't hurt him. And Ghostface is just like, that's not good enough. Why should I let him live and all this other shit? So she basically hangs up and she starts calling her son, calling her son. He can't hear it because he's in the shower. And it's kind of weird because a lot of um, a lot of slasher movies in recent years are doing folk. They're really focusing on shower scenes with guys now. I feel like they're getting tired of seeing girls in showers because Slumber Party Massacre did that. They went as far as to have not only a shower scene with a guy that seemed like it would have been fit for a female. They had a they had guys at the cabin doing pillow fights in Slumber Party Massacre. It's a really weird fucking scene. But um. I guess they just showed Dylan Minetti in the, in, the, in the, you know, in the shower as opposed to showing, I don't know, they could have showed Hayden Pantier, but who the fuck is, you know, just my opinion, but you know, that, it, you know, whatever, we're not even going to talk about that, people, I'm getting sidetracked here once again, so what happens is, uh, Judy actually gets to the house, and while she's running up to the front door, screaming out for Wes, Ghostface pops up, 
pops right in front of her. Jump scare central pops up in front of her, stabs her in the stomach. But when she falls on the ground, she almost has a fighting chance because Ghostface is trying to pin that knife into her. And she's like putting up a good fight. But what happens is Ghostface stabs her again. But he fucking prison shanks her ass. He stabs her all the fuck up and ghostface does a lot of prison shanking in this movie i don't know what the what, what the deal was if that's what the killer or killers when we get to the reveal i don't know if that's what they had in mind uh prior but ghostface does a lot of prison shanking in here but it was actually pretty sad to watch you know uh judy hicks get killed literally right outside her crib within feet away from her her baby boy man and she was just going to save him so it does raise the stakes, and that's one of the things that I was begging and pleading for Screen 5 to do was raise the fucking stakes, and they did that by killing Judy Hicks, and I I, I personally think that was really raised stakes because she was such a beloved character for me personally. So what happens is Wes gets out of the shower, gets dressed, and this is another sad sequence. Uh, it's both funny and sad. It's funny because... Wes, every time he opens a door, if there's a lag and then he opens up a door, there's this build-up music and you think Ghostface is going to be behind the door. Then he'll go in a, in a kitchen cabinet and slowly close the cabinet and then it's just nothing behind the cabinet door. Like They keep playing around with the fact that yo, it might be a jump scare sooner than later. We don't know when it's going to happen because they keep manipulating the, the, the audience into thinking that it's a jump scare behind every single corner. And the way that they, I think they purposely did that and it worked as a good humor moment. But it's also sad to watch because here is Wes Hicks not knowing his mother's been slaughtered right outside their front door. But you see him just casually, as I'm assuming they always do when they get sushi, just setting up dinner for two. He gets two plates. He gets two bowls. He gets the, the horchata sauce. He gets everything together for them to eat dinner. You know, just him and his mother. And he doesn't know his mother is dead. So he goes to the front door. He closes it, locks it because he thinks he hears something. Then when he turns around, that's when the when the jump scare happens. Didn't scare me, but that's when the jump scare happens. And Ghostface, um, you know, he, he's got him gripped up against the front door. And you do think Wes is going to make it through because the taser that he made, that his friends were making fun of him for having, he did bring that up to his mom before she left the house. And he puts it. It, it, like on one of the, the tables in the living room so he's reaching for it while Ghostface is trying to pin that knife into him and it's a really slow pin so you think there's a glimmer of hope for him to grab that taser and possibly make it out of this alive maybe unscathed nope doesn't fucking happen people because Ghostface gets the upper hand and this was a hard death to watch it was so vicious because Ghostface sticks the knife into Wes's neck slow when I say slow you see that blade go through his neck you see the imprint of the blade go inside his neck and protrude out the skin and you see the other side of that blade come out the like the, the one part of his neck where he's been stabbed and he's just stabbing and he's leaving the knife in there and just stabbing him and dylan minetti's west character is just slowly just winding down it's just like yo i'm i'm really this is really happening like i'm really getting stabbed in the neck and i'm dying right now it's one of those i'm realizing what's happening to me moments and it was really sad because i'm thinking if, if if Judy Hicks gets killed, at least her son's going to survive, right? Wrong. And I'm telling y'all, stakes. And the fucked up thing is, this is the one movie where I really liked Dylan Minetti's character. There's not really too, too much for him to do, but he actually was a good kid, it seemed like, in the movie. So to see somebody like him get killed and somebody like his mother get killed, like I said, definitely raises the stakes. 
So what happens is, you know, they they both die. Unfortunately, Sam shows up after Ghostface is gone, of course. And, you know, the cop is just like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, they're dead. You can't blah, 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 blah. You can't walk past. So what happens is Sam actually ends up meeting Gail because, you know, Gail pops up for the story. And what happens is Gail sees Dewey. So it's a, it's another reunion, pretty much. It's some, you know, some new characters meeting some old characters and some old characters, you know, linking back up with some old characters. But I love when I love the look on Gail's face. First of all, Courtney Cox looks great in this movie, man. She's aged really well in the film. But I love the look where Sam recognizes Gail and she's like, oh, my God, you're a and Courtney Cox, like Gail, her eyes just light up like, yeah, I, who, I know. I, I know who I am. <laughs> like, I love Gail. Gail just never loses that fucking confidence at all, man. And while people might think she's a bitchy character, I feel like at this point in the series, she's earned every single bit of it. So it's really good seeing her back on screen. Like I said, she looks great. But um, there's a moment that I love. And it's when Gail sees Dewey for the first time and she accidentally called, you know, she says her last name as Riley and she's like, yeah, I'm Gail Riley. I mean, Weathers, I'm, I'm Gail Weathers. And she walks over to Dewey and I love the interaction with them because it's back to the bullshit It's back to the lovers quarrel shit that we love about Dewey and Gail in these screen movies. And she starts punching them like soft hits, but she's hitting the shit out of them. She's like a text. You're going to tell me there's another killer through a text. Like he's like, well, what the fuck did you want me to do? Like they're just bickering back and forth, having their bitching moment. And it almost, I'm not going to lie to y'all, man. It almost got me choked up a little bit when Dewey and Gail are actually interacting and talking to each other for the first time in this movie because they're talking about why they split up. You know, they're talking about how they split up. And, you know, Gail says something to Dewey where she's like, you know, you were you were meant to stay in Woodsboro. And he's like, and you weren't, you know, like and he's letting her know, like, I couldn't I couldn't take the fact of you always being gone and you moving on with your career. And I'm, I'm just like, kind of just here taking up space. He's like, I couldn't deal with it. And she's like, well, why didn't you say anything? We would have, we would have worked on it and we would have made it work and we would have stayed together and this, that, and other. I'm telling you people, I got choked up because I'm like the way that they're like, not really trying to reconcile, but trying to figure out what went wrong in the midst of these people getting murdered. First of all, somebody they knew Dewey was close to, you know, Hicks and the fact that they're still talking about this shit after five movies, you know, four movies have passed. This is the fifth movie. So the fact that they're still on this shit, I did get choked up a little bit because I'm like, I don't see, you know, with how sad things were in that moment, I don't see all three OG characters making it out. I don't know who it's going to be at this point, but I'm like, it's getting a little too, like emotions are running way too high right now for me to have like, you know, the, 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 the best aspirations for these characters to survive. Now, a little bit after that, now this is another good cameo that they had in here. Another good voice cameo, Matthew Lillard, people, Stu Mocker him fucking so he actually makes a voice cameo in scream. He is now, if everybody saw the trailer, we remember that there was somebody in a, excuse me, in a chromed out ghost face mask with a fucking flamethrower. Now everybody was like, Yo, is Ghostface tripping in this joke? Like he's he's got a chromed out mask. I thought it was pretty badass, but then I was like, I think what somebody said online was absolutely right, and they called it. They said, yeah, this has got to be somebody watching a stab movie because no way he's got a fucking flamethrower. We're not. They're not going that hard in Screen Five, and it turns out it was a trailer for Stab. Um, what was it? Stab Eight, and basically we get a we get a voice um cameo by Matthew Lillard, and when the Ghostface is with the chrome when Ghostface with the chrome mask basically is uh shooting off the flamethrower he says this shit is lit 
and that's Matthew Lillard's voice. It's a nice little touch. But we do get another cameo, uh, and this is actually from Dead Meat, James A. Janice and his girlfriend. I, I'm sorry, I cannot remember his uh, his girlfriend's name, but big shout out to them. They are, you know, it's like a, a like a mock type of thing, a mock type of podcast thing where they're hosting a different podcast. It's not called Dead Meat, but they're talking about how bad the Stab 8 movie is. And Richie's actually watching it you know, online on, it's either on his tablet or his phone, but this is a good thing, man. This is a good thing because we get some, I get super uh, confirmation. And I kept telling people that I was not ruling this out to happen. We get to understand that Kirby survived Scream 4, Hayden Pantiera's character. Because if you look closely, people, if you go see Scream again and you look closely while, you know, James A. Janice and his girlfriend are talking about Stab 8, you look on the right side of that computer screen and you see they 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 have an interview with Kirby. It says survivor of the Woodsboro murders. I can't remember what Kirby's last name was. And they've got a picture with of Hayden Pantiera with her long blonde hair. And I'm like, yes, I'm like, Kirby fucking survived. I kept telling. I keep telling y'all, man, I'm not crazy, people. I know what I'm talking about sometimes, and I make it come full circle on the Tudor Reviews podcast. God damn it. I keep telling y'all this, man. I told everybody, and they kept saying, oh, that's ridiculous, Rome. What the fuck are you talking about? You're just you're just wishful thinking again. I said, when Kirby got stabbed by Charlie, we did not see her die in Scream 4. The last frame we see her in, she's quivering on the ground, still moving, but she is bleeding out a great deal. But we didn't see her die. We didn't see a body. No, nothing. So can we please, people, radio silence, can we get Kirby back in Scream 6? Because y'all going to make a 6. And y'all going to make a 7. This is this is not up for debate. But basically, um, what happens is, this is what happens, people. Um, you know, we, we see all of the Kirby and the, you know, the, the, the dead meat stuff. So Sam and Dewey head to the hospital because, you know, they're just like, well, who the hell is at the hospital? So Dewey's like, all right, let's, you know, I'll roll with you. And they go to the hospital to protect uh, Tara. Now what happens is Tara gets attacked. Tara and Richie get attacked because Tara leaves out of her, uh, you know, her hospital room. She sees that the guards have been killed at the hospital. I don't know what fucking hospital this is because it's not in Woodsboro. This shit is Haddonfield Memorial Clinic from 1981 because there's literally like two staff and two cops up in that bitch because everybody apparently is dead or everybody apparently has gone off or called in sick for the day because nobody's there. So Ghostface knocks Richie's ass out, cuts him on his arm and knocks him out. You know, he, uh, as Randy said, he's got this pity me service wound on his arm now. So what happens is, you know, Sam is in her wheelchair, like slowly, slowly, slowly going away and Richie's phone rings. So this is now Sam and Dewey calling Richie's phone. So Ghostface picks up. Now, the thing I love about this, while he's slowly walking towards Tara as she's slowly pushing herself in this wheelchair down the hallway, what Ghostface does is he reaches into Richie's uh, pocket, answers the phone, but when he answers the phone, he presses a button where his neck is at, and you see this red light illuminate, and Ghostface now has the voice changer attached to his neck, and I thought that was a really good touch, man, and that's a good nod to, um, that is a good nod to Scream 3, where Ghostface had the voice changer, and it's a good nod to Scream 4, where the killer had, you know, uh, Robbie and, uh, Robbie and Jill had, not Robbie, but, um, Charlie and Jill had the, the cameras. They were recording the murders. They had the cameras inside of their ghost face masks, inside of the eye holes and stuff. So it's really good for, you know, to explain how ghost face moves around while using that voice. I love that they explained that. And 
basically Sam is on the phone with Ghostface and he's like, well, you ain't shit because I'm about to kill your sister and you can't make a decision. Do I kill your sister or your boyfriend? And he's like, yeah, you ain't shit because you can't even pick one, can you? And she's actually just stalling for time because, you know, they they come in and they're Dewey's letting off rounds and shit. So what happens is Dewey gets attacked. You know, it, shit's hitting the fan up in this hospital. Dewey gets attacked at one point and it is intense because Ghostface pushes Dewey up against the wall and tries to stab him. Dewey grabs the hands and the knife is like, about to pin towards him, and Dewey flips Ghostface over, and he tells him, you know, like, not today, like, bitch, I ain't dying today, you got me fucked all the way up, so Dewey, you know, shoots up Ghostface, or whatever the fuck happens, either way, Ghostface is incapacitated at this point, and knocked the fuck out, so they run in the elevator, and as the elevator doors are closing, it's, it's, it's Richie, it's Sam, it's Dewey, it's Tara, so as the elevator doors are closing, <sighs> Dewey grabs the door and he stops it from closing and he's like, you got to shoot him in the head. And they're like, Dewey, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, nah, nope, I got to make sure they are dead, dead for real. And Sam is like, Dewey, who gives a shit? And he just looks at everybody in the elevator. He's like, I do. And then the elevator doors close. People, when I tell y'all, when when them elevator doors close and Dewey starts walking down that hallway, dumping the bullets out of the chamber, nigga, listen. I said, yo, shoot that son of a bitch, whoever it is in the head and keep it moving. Don't go back and try to take the mask off. Don't cock that, you know, don't cock the gun back and try to say, all right, this is for Tatum and this is for Judy. And this is like, don't don't do no long drawn out dialogue, Dewey. Just kill this mother. Now, first of all, I'm thinking that when he walks back, Ghostface is going to be gone. But you clearly can see Ghostface is still lying down. Dewey's loading up his gun. And this clearly is a nod to Scream 2 when uh, Elise Neal's character, Holly, and Sydney's character get out of the cop car. And when they run, they get away. They run away. And Sydney taps Holly and she's like, I want to know who it is. And Sydney goes back to find out who Ghostface is and he's not there. And he ends up killing Holly for it. It's a nod back to that. So Dewey walks up to Ghostface, who's still slumped like a motherfucker, and Dewey, his, his gun's locked and loaded, he puts, points that fucking gun at Ghostface's face, and as, I'm telling you, as soon as he aims that fucking gun, his phone goes off. Not even a millisecond after that phone goes off, people, Ghostface hops his ass right up with the spring shoes of the century and stabs Dewey in his stomach, and I'm telling y'all, when I say like, is I had one of them little like, like one of them little girly moments. I was acting like a little bitch because I put my hand over my mouth like, oh, I'm like, oh shit. I was like, yo, he fucking stabbed Dewey in the stomach. I was like, nope, he gonna be all right. He gonna be good. So not only does Ghostface stab Dewey in the stomach, and Dewey's like reacting like the shit looks so painful. David Arquette did a really great job in this scene just conveying pain and shit. But stabs Dewey in the stomach. Ghostface pulls out another fucking knife and stabs Dewey in the back. So he's got hands on both handles. The knife in the stomach and knife in the back and then says yesterday, like in response to Dewey saying not today, like basically I ain't dying today and Ghostface is like yesterday and Ghostface starts cutting upward with both knives simultaneously slicing Dewey up the stomach, slicing Dewey up his back and when you see that big ass puddle of blood spill out of Dewey's body, you know it's a wrap, you know it's a wrap and they play this really sad score and I'm telling y'all, man, as I'm watching this scene play out, I, I couldn't fucking believe it, man. Like, my eyes, this is another movie. First, it was what? Ghostbusters Afterlife, where I literally cried the first time I watched it. Spider-Man No Way Home, literally cried the first time I watched it. This one was a little different. I'm not going to hold y'all, man. I teared up. I don't know who was cutting onions up in the building, but I teared up because Dewey gets gutted 
up the front and up the back. And his phone starts ringing again, and it's Gale. And Dewey's literally just all he can think about in his moment of death is looking down at that phone and looking at that picture of Gale Weathers as the phone rings. God damn, people. And I'm telling you, tell the, the ghost ghostface tells Dewey it's an honor. Like it's an like it's an honor? Like, how fucking brutal is that? Dewey has been murdered. At this point, people, Dewey, he took, takes the knives out of Dewey and kicks him on the fucking ground. They do a close-up shot of Dewey's dead fucking face. Eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling. Dewey's out the game, people. Dewey Riley dies in Scream 2022, people. And I'm telling y'all, the shit got me choked up and teared up because I talked all this shit. Oh, they better kill one of the OG characters in this one. Dewey, Dewey should have died in the in the first one, but he lived, so I give it, I give him this. But then the second one, he got his back torn up again, and he lived. But in the third one, I thought he was gonna die in the trailer, which I did because when that knife is going, I remember the trailer where the knife was going up the steps. I said, Oh yeah, Dewey's gonna die in this one. Dewey didn't even die in part four. So my bitch ass, I'm sitting there telling everybody, like, man, they better keep that same energy they had when they killed Randy. I'm ready for them to make a ballsy move like that again. But I didn't expect it to be Dewey like that, man. That was fucking brutal as shit. And then for Ghostface to say that line to him before he like actually died, died. People, I'm telling you, it's, it's hands down. This death triumphs over how sad Randy's death is in the aftermath of Randy and seeing Randy and Scream 3 on the VHS tape. Dewey's death scene is hands down one of the saddest deaths I've seen in a, you know, in a fucking slasher movie in so long, yo. So, of course, you got the aftermath in slow motion and i called this man um and i i tried to put two and two together but i thought that the tr the, the trailers were misleading everybody so I, I thought i was gonna be wrong but i saw a shot in slow motion a real quick shot of gail running like trying to run up to something or someone but people were holding her back and i'm like i hope that that she's not reacting to what i think she's reacting to and turns out that is actually the shot in the movie because she sees Dewey's toe tag, you know, she sees his body being taken out, um, you know, in the body bag, toe tag, time of death, all that shit, and it's real, it's very real, people, and they drag it out so dramatically, like I said, it's in slow motion, so um, I think it's Richie and Sam who are holding her back in slow motion, and I'm like, god damn, man, I did not see it happening like that, people, I, I really truly didn't, man, it was such a fucking wild death scene, it was so sad, but that's who Dewey was, man, he was a really heroic guy, and you've even got Sam trying to console, you know, Gail Weathers at this point, Gail's not really trying to hear shit, man, she's just, she's feel like she's just lost everything, and, you know, nothing really matters to Gail at this point, she doesn't give a fuck about no fame, no, no, you know, being a celebritant or whatever, she doesn't care about anything, she just lost a man she loves, and, Sam tells her, you know, he, you know, he, he tried to save us. And she's like, you know, that's what he did. He just wanted to help people. And she's like, you know, it shouldn't have been him. And she's like, well, if he, if he didn't, you know, save us, my sister would be dead. And Gail just kind of looks at her like, she doesn't say anything, but she just kind of looks at her. I would have been like, yeah, well, what a, what a big fucking even trade. I would have rather had my homie here than, you know, I don't know your sister, but she didn't say that. So what happens is Sydney finally shows up and I love just the embrace between Sydney and Gail because they're both mourning the same person. And we know how much Dewey meant to Sidney and Gail individually. But as, you know, together, they survived this shit four times together, man. So you can literally feel their pain on screen, yo. Sidney's a lot stronger, but Gail shows a lot more vulnerability in that scene where they just embrace each other. Now, I feel like that was good. To show Gail Weathers vulnerable is, um, is 
it, it rarely happens in screen movies, but it, there's always one moment where Gail is just, you know, she has to let her guard down and remember that she's a human being and that, you know, she's so much more than just a tabloid journalist, as everybody calls her. She's still a human being at the end of the day. So Sydney, you know, uh, Sydney and Sam and Tara have their, you know, their bonding moment after the, the hospital thing. And, you know, she's just like, yeah, I'll always be there for you, sis. And Tara lets her know she's high as shit on morphine. And they, they have their moment. And it's good to see them back on good terms because you figure with the third act coming, somebody's got to survive and make it out this bitch. So why not have it be the two sisters? Now they have their bonding moment and they plan to get the fuck out of town, which is a really good idea. Sydney meets Sam and it's kind of it's almost like this looking into a mirror type of scene because, you know, Sydney's like, look, I've been through this plenty of times. I know what you're going through. And Sam's not really trying to hear it at this point. She's like, look, I just want to get my sister to fuck up out of here. No offense, lady, but that's your life. That's, this ain't my life. And, you know, I'm not the final girl and I'm not this and that. But I love how Gail in return has Sydney's back. And she tells she tells Sam, like, look, new girl, like you, you new to all of this. Like you talking about don't fuck with the original. This right here, she's the original. So you better put some fucking speck on her name for you get jumped out here. You know, you better start announcing yourself when you talk to Sydney Prescott a certain way. Now, Gail, that's really what Gail should have said. Gail should have got real prison yard gangster on her. But they don't, you know, they don't do that. So Richie pulls up. They get Tara in the car. And Sam, you know, Sydney tells Sam, she's like, yo, be careful and you take care of yourself. And Sam's like, yeah, you too. So they drive off and they actually plan to get the fuck out of town. So while Gail's all pissed off, she's like, well, that went well. Sydney's like, no, nah, I put a tracker on her car. That's just something Gail Weathers would do. So so she knows where, you know, where everybody's going. And we find out while the three of them are driving out of town, Richie, Sam and Tara, they're driving out of town. Fucking Tara's forgetful ass forgets her inhaler and she needs her inhaler. We established that. And I knew that was going to be used as a plot device the moment she used that inhaler in the opening sequence. I knew it was going to be a plot device, which it is. And she's like, well, I've got an extra, you know, I've got a, um, an extra inhaler at Amber's crib. Now there's a party, the third act party at Amber's crib. Now let me tell y'all, man, it's a little weird to see, not in a bad way, but Amber McKenzie lives in, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Amber Freeman was her name. She lives in Stu Mocker's house. So it's very strange seeing these kids party in Stu Mocker's house. Like it's literally the same house from the original screen movie. And they're having a party there for, you know, dedicated to Wes and I love the double entendre of the whole for West party because it's for the character Wes Hicks who just got killed with his mother. But it's also a double entendre because it's also for Wes, you know, Wes Craven, who was, of course, the director for these movies. So that was a nice little touch they did there. But, you know, you get the regular party shit and... um Amber has a moment where she goes to get beer in the basement. So you automatically think, oh, shit, Ghostface, Ghostface is going to come get her while she's getting the beer out the basement because it's the same thing that happened to Tatum when she was getting beer out the basement. So when uh, when Amber closes the door, who's right behind her? Mindy is right behind her. And Mindy, you know, I love that. How do we know you're not the killer shit? And how they change it up is Amber. Tell First of all, Mindy tells her, she's like, that was a test that you failed. Why the fuck would you go get beer by yourself? And she's like, well, you told me it was beer down here. She's like, yeah, but you should have asked me to go with you. So she's like, Mindy, like, why, why are you on my ass? Like, how do you know I'm not the killer? And when you kind of think she has a point, Mindy walks up closer to Amber and she's like, because I'm the killer. And I was like, holy shit. I said, that was, that was a good, that was a good, that was a good line right there. Because it's like, 
How do you tell somebody that? Like somebody's trying to scare you and then you just take it an extra couple notches to scare the shit out of them even more. I love that. And this is one of the reasons why Mindy is my favorite, one of my favorite characters in the entire movie. So we get the, you know, we get the usual party antics that are going on. Chad's getting drunk as shit and he's telling everybody, yeah, this is how I mourn, I drink. So Chad, Chad and his girlfriend Liv are making out on the couch and Liv is hot and bothered. You know, I figured, I guess she's just like, you know, since we don't know if we're going to get killed, let's fuck. So she finally is like, finally is like yeah let's go upstairs and he's like upstairs and i'm thinking that they were gonna fuck like this was gonna be the sex scene in the screen movie but chad does some shit where he fully embraces his black side you know as a biracial character a, a nephew of randy meeks um so chad when, when he when his girlfriend offers him some pussy basically like let's go upstairs get away from the party you know most guys would would take that offer uh you know all day all night but he's like yeah, I, he's like, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm not absolutely sure that you're not the killer. And Liv kind of looks at him like, what the fuck did you just say? Like, you're turning down some yams to accuse me of being the killer, but I dig what he's saying. He doesn't know who the killer is. He doesn't even know if he's the fucking killer. We don't know if he's the killer. We don't know if Liv's the killer. So I completely understand what that man is saying. And she gets pissed and she walks off. Chad ends up getting attacked, though, because he goes to find her. He's got this little tracker thing on his phone. It's like, find my girlfriend or whatever the hell it is. So he goes outside and his sister. I love the interaction between them in certain scenes because Mindy tells him, like, yo, at least take something outside to protect yourself. And I think he takes like a steel candle holder or something like that. So there's that scene that we see in the trailer where, you know, uh, he's getting closer and closer to her on the tracker and then he can't find her at some point. So he's like, yeah, I'm not doing this shit. So when he turns around. Whoo, he turns around. I thought Ghostface stabbed him in the dick at first, but Ghostface like stabs upward into his thigh. And I'm talking like his shit's leaking. So he fucks Ghostface up and throws Ghostface in the bushes because, you know, he's a jock. He's a really big guy. And like in real life, that actor is like really built. So he, you know, he runs behind the tool shed. So he doesn't want Ghostface to track him on his phone because his girlfriend could be the killer so he tosses his phone across you know across the across the grass and stuff so he limps away and it, we we saw this shot in the trailer while he's limping away ghostface runs the fuck out and i love this shot because it reminds me of ghostface running after casey becker in scream one ghostface pops out of that fucking uh the, you know that tool shed that garage whatever the hell it is and runs right up behind you know chad and stabs them all up and really starts doing that prison shank shit again starts stabbing them up and then some headlights pop up Ghostface runs off and we just see chad on the ground he's not talking he's just whimpering he's shaking he's been stabbed the fuck up so we assume he's bleeding out and he dies so the headlights were actually sam ritchie and tara showing up to get the um you know, the extra inhaler for Tara. And what happens is they end up shutting the party down and Richie's like, look, man, I tried to be nice. Everybody get the fuck out. Y'all got to leave. There's a killer on the loose and all this other shit. So this is the thing. Mindy, Mindy does at some point when everybody, you know, everybody splits up, of course, as they do in horror movies, because why would it be a slasher movie if everybody didn't split up? So everybody splits up some type of way. But Mindy is is in the living room on the couch watching the original stab and the original stab i don't know who the actor is they got to play randy but the original stab is on the part where randy is like behind you and he's on the couch watching halloween so she's literally watching that part while ghostface is behind her and she doesn't even see ghostface so what happens is mindy ends up getting attacked she gets attacked and we think she dies because after she gets stabbed and ghostface runs away she's like yeah that's a lot of blood and then she just fucking she's out of it and you think she, i thought she died but i was like 
it was kind of weird if she died because I, or when she died because she says that's a lot of blood and it's kind of like a comedic line in which you know it's not unlikely for people to say comedic lines when they die in a screen movie i mean look at anthony anderson he said fuck bruce willis and that was that but you know uh mindy it appears that she dies and basically we get Liv, tara sam amber richie they're all in the kitchen and they're they're you know everybody's a suspect at this point and they're just like, well, where were you when this happened? He's like, I went to get beer. And it's like, well, where were you? She's like, I was looking for my boyfriend. It's like, well, where were you? And everybody's a suspect at this point. And, you know, Liv is screaming to Amber. She's like, shut up, Amber. I'm not the fucking killer. And Amber's like, yeah, I know. And she pulls a fucking gun out and shoots Liv in the forehead. Blows her fucking brains out. And she's like, welcome to Act 3. So Amber has now revealed herself as the killer. Now, this is the thing, people. This is going to make or break the movie for some people. Now, I understand this is something that has been going on in the Scream franchise since the beginning. When Ghostface is in that costume, Ghostface has the strength of 10 men. King Kong, you know, has got platform shoes on the same shoes they gave to Angus Grimm to play the tall man and all that other shit. But when it's revealed that Amber is the killer, it's like, how the fuck, like, did this little itty-bitty petite chick have all this fucking man strength? I don't understand. I'm not saying women aren't strong, but come on now. Amber's like the smallest, skinniest girl of the entire bunch next to Tara. And Tara's in a fucking wheelchair. She got stabbed seven times. So it's like, what the, like, what, like, how? How? So everybody scatters, and then we cut to Sydney and Gail. You know, they get, they, they strap up, they get their guns and shit, and, you know, they show up to Stu Mocker's house and it's all quiet. They hear a scream. So when they hear the scream, Amber comes out the front door and she's like, I got stabbed. The killer stabbed me. And then Sydney and Gail look at each other and they're just like, what do you think? And then Gail's just like, no, nah, this is definitely a trap. This is some bullshit. So what happens is Amber shoots Gail. And this is the second time in the series Gail has been shot in the stomach. She got shot in the stomach scream too, but she's a tough cookie, man. She she makes it through. So what happens is she's like, no, Gail, we got to get you to a hospital. And it's like a fucking hospital. She's like, Dewey, or not Dewey, but she She's like, Gail, God damn. She says, Sydney, I got the names like mixed up double time. She's like, Sydney, no, no, no. We got to finish it, Sydney. Finish this, Sydney, for Dewey. We got to do this for Dewey. And Sydney's like, all right, you right. So what happens is Sydney walks up into the crib, very much like how Dewey walked up into the same crib in the first movie. You know, when Dewey, when they're playing Halloween in the background and you can hear the scene where Lori Strode finds all the zombies and Dewey's kicking doors open and covering corners and turning corners this way and turning corners that way with his gun all nervous. Sydney does the same thing. She walks up in there with the gun drawn, locked and loaded, and she's kicking doors open. But Sydney start, you know, when Ghostface calls her, she starts shooting through doors at some point. She don't give a fuck at this point. And I love I love how Sydney operates in this movie because she's like, look, I got a gun, bitch. I'm going to shoot through these walls. Like she said, if you she said, if you're hiding, come out. I don't care who you are because I'm going to shoot through these walls and shoot through these doors. And if you get hit, then your ass get hit. I just gave you a warning. So while she's talking to Ghostface, she shoots through one of the doors and she accidentally shoots Richie in the fucking leg. And that's when Ghostface pops out. Sydney and Ghostface scuffle for a little bit. They fall clean over the railing and fuck themselves up. So you've got um you've got Richie limping down the steps and she's like, Richie, get the gun. He's like, Yeah, I'm trying. You know, you just shot me in the leg. It's all good. So what happens is, um what happens is Ghostface and Sydney are on the ground trying to recuperate. So Sam actually grabs the gun and Richie's like, yeah, good job, baby. Good job, baby. So as soon as he walks up to Sam to get the gun from her, he fucking stabs her in the stomach. And it is revealed that Richie is killer number two. People, the boyfriend is the killer again. 
we have completely gone back to the OG territory at this point. It's the boyfriend and his accomplice. It's the boyfriend killer. Boyfriend killer. I'm telling y'all, man, I did not see either of these people being the killers. I thought the boyfriend was too obvious, but they do hint. There's so many hints that point to these two if you go back and watch it again. And Dewey even says it. Never trust the boyfriend. Nobody listened to Dewey. But I did not suspect Richie and Amber to be the killers in this movie. So, you know, Richie stabs Sam and he reveals himself. Tara unmasked. We already know what, what her thing is. Now, the whole thing with their motives is that, you know, they do this whole thing about where they talk about somebody has to save the franchise and nobody's made a good stab movie since the first one. And there's all this social commentary that, that they talk about toxic fandom and how Hollywood is fresh out of ideas and... Um, you know, they, they, they plan to frame Sam, you know, as Billy Loomis's crazed daughter. And it's like, listen, you're, you know, you're, you're not the final girl. You're the, you know, you're the killer and all this other shit. And, uh, Amber talks about how, you know, Dewey had to die for everybody to let, you know, for, to let everybody know that this shit is real. And now this is the thing that's going to make or break people as far as the motive. It's like, does it work? And I, I would say, sure, I'll deal with that motive revealed in the third act about you know toxic fandom and it's like listen the, the stab movies have been trash so we wanted to make our own story bring back some legacy characters kill one of the legacy characters and bring in some new blood and blah 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 i can deal with that more than i can deal with emma roberts whining like a fucking brat um by the end of her reveal i like i can deal with that i can deal with that more than i can deal with roman fucking whining and bitching at the end of his reveal i, I can deal with that I can, people. It's probably the third, the third most plausible motive. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the first one, of course, Billy and Stu. The second one, Mickey and Mrs. Loomis. Now, this one, Amber and Richie. I can buy into that. A lot of people will not, though. They will not buy into that. They will say that the, you know, they will say that that motive is bullshit. I do not like. I'm a little more forgiving of it than than a lot of other people because it's better than the last two motives that that we got pretty much. Now, what happens is, you know, Tara starts fucking up Amber at some point, you know, because they, you know, everybody's gathered up in the kitchen for the explanation and the motive and all of this stuff, just like the first movie. Everybody's gathered up in the kitchen, but then people start to disappear. People start to fight one another and everybody splits up again. They're all over the place on some Scooby-Doo shit. But Tara starts fucking up Amber with her crutch. She starts beating the shit out of Amber with this crutch and everybody just starts getting it in. Sydney and Gail end up double teaming Amber at some point and throwing her ass over the fucking kitchen counter. They're putting fingers in wounds and they're beating each other's asses at some point now i love this part because what happens is and we are wrapping this up soon people because we're an hour and some change into this but i love it because what happens is sydney and gail have you know amber dead bang and they've got her cornered and she's at the stove and she's like no 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 she's like please i just wanted to be a part of something which is so true man that's why people hate on movies that's why people you know do the whole toxic fandom thing they just want to be a part of something they're sheep they want to be a part of the flock but there is a line after you know after amber says that gail says you like you wanted to be a part of something like bitch you killed my best friend and she's like yeah and dewey die like a fucking pussy so you know that sets gail off and she socks the shit out of amber and they have their little cat fight again so Sydney's kind of indisposed at this point as she is. And, you know, there's always one point in a movie where Sydney's indisposed and she can't really get back on her feet the way she's supposed to. But Amber's still talking her shit, boy. 
still talking her shit and she keep fucking with Gail, man. She keep playing with her emotions and she told her, she said, Dewey was the last thing I saw before he died. It's time to pass the torch, bitch, and all this other stuff. So what happens is they end up getting the best of Amber one more again and when she falls into the stove, she accidentally turns it on. So she turns around to Gail and... Uh, uh, in, in Sydney one more time and she's like please guys I'm sorry please don't do this and da, da 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 and Gail's like bitch fuck you and she shoots the shit out of her shoots her like three or four times and when she spins around Amber when she spins around she falls like face first face and chest first on the stove and just gets lit on fire she gets lit on fucking fire and they're watching her burn on the floor and Sydney's like you know have fun with that torch and I'm just like ah you make a funny Dr. Jones. I understand your joke. I understood that reference. But so what happens is, um, you know, she says to enjoy that torch line and you get Sam versus Richie. And it's the boyfriend girlfriend moment where, you know, Dewey even said it. He said, welcome to act three where they're trying to rip your head off type of shit. And that's what's going on. Richie's just talking too much. He's got her dead bang with the gun in his hand. But Sam is crawling on the ground like almost helpless. What does she do? Look up in the mirror and see old daddy-o. So we get another hallucination of Billy Loomis in the mirror. And Billy looks down at the ground, then looks back at Sam and nods his head like, yeah, you know what to do. He doesn't say anything, but he nods his head like, yeah, you know. And she, you see a handle. So she's clearly crawling for the knife. And when Richie flips her over... She stabs him, uh, you know, she says something to him. She's like, you're forgetting one thing. And he's like, well, what's that? She's like, never fuck with the daughter of a serial killer. And she stabs Richie in his fucking cheek. And it looks nasty. And then she jumps on top of this motherfucker and starts stabbing Richie's ass up. And when I say she's stabbing this motherfucker up, she stabs him the fuck up. I'm talking like if y'all have seen the end of Wrong Turn, the Wrong Turn movie, the reboot that came out last year, and you see the end of that movie where that guy crawls out of that trailer and the, the final girl starts stabbing his ass up, that's how Sam starts stabbing Richie up. Now, he's still alive, and he says something about, like, what about my movie or what about my moment, my scene, or some shit, and she's like, here it is, and she cuts his fucking throat. She cuts his whole throat after stabbing him up, and I'm just like, oh, my fucking goodness. Like, and Sam stands to her feet, bloodied up, and knife in hand and i'm just like god damn like you really are loomis fuck a carpenter you are samantha loomis at this point because you are so your father's daughter and she's a bloody mess at this point and then you know sydney and gail come in the living room and we've got the final girl moment all the final girls are still standing strong it's really good to see and you know one of, i can't remember if it's sydney or gail it's just like be careful they always come back and as soon as she says that sam gets the gun I can't I really can't remember if Sydney or uh, Gail has the gun, but Sam snatches the gun and shoots Richie three times. And the third one is a headshot splatter headshot. And I was like, let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. There's no don't leave no stone unturned out this bitch. I love to see it, man. And as soon as that happens, Amber's burnt crispy ass comes running out the kitchen with a fucking knife in her hand, running right towards Sam, Gale, and Sydney. And what happens? A gunshot goes off right in her dome, and it's Tara. And Tara's like, I still prefer the Baba Duke. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> like, why she prefers the Baba Duke? I don't fucking know, but. You know what I'm saying? We we have our final girls, people. The killers have been defeated at this point. And one of the best things to come out of this ending. Mindy is on a stretcher. Mindy has survived. Mindy Meeks Martin has survived. Man, one of my favorite characters. She's basically the female Randy in this movie. And when the stretchers, uh, you know, when the paramedic is pushing her in a stretcher, 
over by the other paramedic. She's rolling past. She gives a thumbs up. So when she rides past, we see Chad survive. Chad survived the attack by the tool shed in the backyard. So he gives her a thumbs up. And we see both the, come on now, both the black people survived? Like, are you fucking kidding me in a Scream movie? I love it, man. I love to see it. Because we got Scream movies where Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett died right in the beginning. We got Scream 3 where uh, Dion Richmond's character died. I love to fucking see it. Anthony Anderson died in, um you know, in, uh, in, uh, uh, Scream 4, so to see two black characters that are siblings, not only black characters, not only siblings, but these are relatives of Randy Meeks, ladies and gentlemen, and I love to see it, man, I love that Mindy and Chad survived, man, so, you know, Sam thanks Sydney and Gail, and, you know, Sam says this line to Sydney towards the end of the movie, and she's like, am I gonna be okay, and Sydney tells her eventually, so clearly they're gonna, they're gonna do more sequels, I don't give a fuck what they say about, oh, we didn't, we didn't make this movie to relaunch the franchise, yes, she did, yes, she did, bullshit, and if the fans don't get one, I'm pretty sure they'll be at your door, they'll be at your door, I almost said Platinum Dunes, they'll be over there at Spyglass, and whoever the hell was it, Paramount that put this movie out, but, uh, yeah, man, hopefully we we get another one because, you know, Gail is, you know, they're talking about what Gail's going to write. You know, how are we going to tell this story? And Gail's like, no, nah. she's like, I don't want to tell this story. I want to just tell a story. My next story will be about a man who who lived in Woodsboro and really protected this town. And she's talking about writing a book about Dewey, man. I'm just, I'm like, yo, like y'all got to fucking tug at my heartstrings again. God damn. Like we already seen the nigga die. Gail's got to give him a tribute of tribute book, which is so fucking amazing though, because Sydney's like, Oh, wow, that's, a, that's a story I'd love to read. And, um, you know, there's one last Billy hallucination where, um, Sam sees him in like a, I think a reflection of a car mirror or something like that, or a car window. And we do get that last, uh, you know, that last thing. And we know that, I don't know. I think moving forward, Sam is definitely going to be a loose cannon. So she's I feel like because she is Billy Loomis's daughter, she may always be considered a suspect, even though she wasn't in this film or she wasn't a killer in this film. She was a suspect, but not a killer. But she's always going to be like in in, in out the corner of everybody's eye. They're always going to be like, yeah, we know who your daddy was. But, um, you know, she gets one last Billy hallucination. Sam and Tara ride off in the ambulance. And it's very much like the ending of that first scream where there's cops and reporters outside. And the one reporter's like, a new chapter came to a close at Mark at the Stu Mocker house or whatever the fuck they said at the end of it. And um, it, 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 it really feels like the ending of, of Scream 1 because they're zooming out with that crane shot outside the, outside the Mocker house. And then at the end of the film, they do say 4 West, which um, I feel like... Um, one of the things I told people without spoiling Scream 5 is that I said that by the time I was done, you know, walking out of this film, I really, truly believe that had Wes Craven still been alive and he just gave Radio Silence the keys to drive this car, I feel like he would have been very pleased and like very, very proud of what they came back with. Um, because this movie, people, let me just say this while I give this movie a ranking. This, for me personally... Like I said, I, I love the first Scream. Nothing beats the first Scream, or at least it hasn't thus far. The third one was always my favorite sequel because, like I said, they fully embraced the fact that this movie was a satire. However, um, I feel like this is the best Scream film since the first one. So my order now goes Scream, Scream 2022, Scream 3, Scream 2, Scream 4, people. I would give this movie a very solid 9 out of 10. Um, what keeps this movie as a Scream sequel from a perfect 10 is the fact that there was some humor that didn't land the way uh, the way I wanted it to. And there were times where you 
were reminded, okay, Kevin Williamson is no longer a part of the writing process in this movie. Now, I don't know if he came in and dropped his notes or, you know, did some script revisions himself, but you can tell that this writing is different. And it's like, you know, I know I talk about the Fast and Furious franchise a lot, but one of the good things about the continuity in that series was the fact that Chris Morgan has written every sequel um, up until Fast 9 since Tokyo Drift. You know, he wrote Tokyo Drift, Fast 4, Fast 5, Fast 6, uh, Fast 7, Hobbs and Shaw, Fast 8. And he didn't write Fast 9. And you could tell he wasn't behind the writing because the writing was just different. You know, me as a writer, I can tell when shit feels different. Now, I'm not saying that it's the worst writing in the world. I wouldn't have gave this movie a 9 out of 10. But there's certain little things that there's not really crazy, super wild direction here, but there's certain shots that I like that haven't been, uh, you know, filmed the way that they were filmed in a, in a screen movie. And I can appreciate that. As far as the characters, another big plus in this movie and why I do give it a nine out of 10 is because I went into this saying that the characters were very CW looking. And if you know me well, you know, I hate the fucking CW. I can't stand anything on the CW except when One Tree Hill was on. That's it. But that was my biggest thing. I, I knew that Dewey, Sidney, and Gale were going to take a back seat in this movie, and we were going to focus more on this new, you know, group of suspects and victims. I knew that was going to happen, but my my concern was that am I going to like any of these characters? I don't want to go into a screen movie not giving a fuck about these characters because I'm not going to. It's not. I'm not going to feel anything when they die, and that's one thing I do like about the screen movies is that when certain characters, even minor characters, you know, I felt some type of way when Sarah Michelle Gellar died, but that's probably because I was a fucking Buffy fan back in the day. I don't know, but I actually liked these characters with the exception of Kyle Gowner's character, and uh, I, I feel like the character of Amber was okay. Uh, the reveal was a little eh. Uh, but the character of Liv was kind of, eh, she could have been better, but I love the characters of uh, Mindy and Chad Meeks. They were easily my favorite characters in the, in, in the new movie. And I do like Jack Quaid's character, probably because he reminded me so much of Rain Wilson. I'm trying to tell y'all. But they did Radio Silence, man. Big ups to them because they did a really good fucking job, man. And it is not easy to take uh, you know a franchise that's already so well received and so well oiled when you are well oiled the way you are when you're four movies in and you have built the fan base that you've built is very intimidated it's both intimidating and hard uh, i would assume to come in and just pick up where the last one left off and just to you know bring so many things back full circle and bring so many things back home to that original movie and I feel like the fact that Wes Craven isn't around to see it is so sad, man, because I really feel like he would have been impressed. And I feel like Kevin Williamson gave his blessing and oversaw the project for very good reason, man. And, um, you know, they, they did a really good job, man. It You know, it hit some emotional points in the movie. There were parts where I laughed out loud. There were there were uh, there were maybe like two times where I jumped. And that's that's expected. You know, Scream is like jump scare heavy. But there was like two Jones that got me uh little unexpected but that's cool other than that you know the characters were decent the og characters being on screen didn't get on my nerves i didn't mind that they took a back seat and played more of like supporting roles as the og characters i really respected the hell out of that the new characters kept things afloat for the most part and the deaths were effective man this is one of the more vicious scream movies this might be as far as the property in general scream resurrection i know a lot of people hate that tv show that has hands down the most brutal deaths in the entire fucking scream property franchise whatever you want to call it um that tv series has some really crazy deaths but this one 
definitely seemed way more mean spirited than any of the other screen movies that I've seen. And I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's because of how they did Dewey. I don't know if it's because of how they opened up because the, the opening was pretty decent. That was another thing that was going to set the tone for me was the opening. And because of how brutal it was, I was like, OK, this will be doing. I'm, I'm well invested in it. I do want to see more of Jenna Ortega's character, because like I said, I did like her acting a bit more than Melissa Barrera as Sam Carpenter. But big shout out to them, too, because I like them both. Shout out to Jack Quaid and uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding and Sonia Amar, Dylan Minnette and uh, all of, you know, everybody that was a part of making the movie, Mike Anderson. And is it Mikey or Mickey Anderson? I would hate to tag her and she possibly listen to this, even though that's never going to happen. But, you know, Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, Marley Shelton, you know, shout out to the OG characters that came in again. Shout out to Radio Silence. And we got to say rest in peace, Dewey, man. I, I Again, I didn't see that coming. And the fact that they did you know, they had to let us know that shit was serious and anybody can go at this point. I, I can respect that. Sad to see him go, but the way they did it, it was really tastefully done. It was very shocking. It was very sad. And um, that's what we get in screen movies with these death scenes, man, sometimes. But um, yeah, man, I enjoyed it. Like I said, nine out of 10 people. And uh, that's pretty much what I got to say about that. Other than I do want a sequel. I want a sequel and we better get one. But People, that pretty much wraps things up, man. And, I, you know, we've been an uh, hour and a half into this, man. Hopefully you guys didn't get too bored listening to me talk about this. This is one of the reasons I hate doing reviews because I don't know how to give reviews without spoiling them. But uh, y'all already know where to go, people. And if y'all don't, y'all can follow the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, Podbean, and Podcast Addict. Shout out to Anchor. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok Romero Tudor. Shout out to the Facebook movie group, The Cinemaniacs. And shout out to the Facebook movie group, The Horror Virus. And last but certainly not least, shout out to the Tudor reviewers, the listeners, the lovers, the supporters out there. Definitely got more commentary coming. Uh, I am supposed to. I will not make any promises. Plus, this is the reason why this guy is the unofficial co-host of the show. Supposed to be doing an episode with uh, M. Wright tomorrow at some point uh i it, it was going to be commentary but i think i want to have him jump on this episode i was going to do 20 horror locations i may or may not survive and i was like okay because it's 20 locations i would need a second opinion on this so i was like who better to get than our buddy m right um who is like i said unofficial co-host he's been on only three episodes but like i said people i he was on an episode shout out to him and uh sam billions we did do commentary for Candyman, and i'm not gonna lie to y'all uh it, it, the commentary is a bit scatterbrained there are some things said on behalf of my uh co-host that i wasn't really all the way okay with i'll just leave it at that but i'm just debating i have to go back and listen to it and you know revise everything and you know, from top to bottom and see if it's actually cool for me to put up. Plus, the audio sounded like shit. So, I mean, we'll see, people. But I do have, you know, more episodes, more commentary to do. I might bang out one com one more commentary tonight and drop it tomorrow. But, um, you know, y'all already know. Y'all know. Y'all know. There's, there's a whole bunch of shit for y'all to, you know, choose from. There's like 500 some odd episodes. So, tell a friend to tell a friend, man. Tell them. Tell them to listen to me. And then, you know, ask them what their favorite scary movie is and then see how that works out. But people, y'all already know. Y'all know. Why do I keep saying that? Am I like talking in riddles? Am I stuck inside of a vortex? I'm actually trying to say what I'm trying to say, people, is that y'all know the love and support that y'all show me. I show it back to y'all tenfold and then some. So with that being said, people, yours truly, Romero Tudor. Another episode of Tudor Reviews in the can. I'll check y'all on the next one.